Welcome to Dugout Study Hall, a remedial course in baseball stats and part of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. I'm your host and expert layman, Matt Goodwin, and I'm here with your fake baseball economist, Alexander Chase. Today we'll talk about transactions, take a look at real versus fantasy baseball so far, who should be traded on both real and fake teams, and more. But before we get to the good stuff, Alexander, how you doing? Hey, not too bad. How about yourself? Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, weather this week up here in New England has been absolutely gorgeous. It's supposed to get up to 85 tomorrow, Ooh, I think. Man. It's like summer already. Um, the downside, though, is that my house is hot and I'm not putting on the AC yet. <laughs> so <laughs> the windows are open in case we get some strange noises uh, rocking in the background. That's what's going on. How about down in D.C.? What was it like uh, weather-wise? You know, we had a bit of rain this weekend. Um, and generally, it hasn't been like that really hot like thing that you have to worry about whenever you live i don't think people realize this like it's actually pretty hot mm-hmm. in like the dc ball war area like it's not like texas or anything but it, it's yeah. like <laughs> not that far off at times especially with the humidity so like when it gets bad it gets real bad and we haven't had it yet so yeah, uh that's I'm good i'm hopeful um, <laughs> the cicadas are keeping it away for now yeah i i was listening to a pretty in- intense uh story about the cicadas I didn't even realize that how many different broods and groups and there's 12 year cicadas and 17 year cicadas and annual cicadas. And I don't know, I I know more about cicadas than I ever thought I would and probably ever needed to, but uh, eh, we'll see. It's definitely interesting that they know how to, uh, to come up. And I, you know what? I think I misspoke. I think they're 13 year cicadas. Yeah, this is, this is what I found interesting that I thought you might like is that uh, they think there might be something to the fact that 13-year cicadas and 17-year cicadas are working on a prime number. Uh, yes, yes, exactly. Because it makes it harder for predators to uh, cycle with them mm-hmm, uh, because, mm-hmm. uh, for whatever reason. I don't know why they can't just wait 17 years too, but <laughs> I guess something about prime numbers in, in nature makes a difference. Uh, so I thought that yeah. was pretty fascinating, and it made me think of you. Yeah, I, prime numbers, nature, weird stuff that I feel like I'm not all that well equipped to like go in any more depth than you brought up about like the cycles <laughs> being weird. Um, but it is a long time, um, and it does. I mean, it does make visual sense when you walk out to wherever they are that they just don't have any natural predators other than themselves, seemingly. Yeah. Um, um, and so, those wasps yeah. that like <laughs> to eat them all. But the, those those get the annual ones. Now that's something that somebody brought up yeah, after yeah, I yeah. walked. I talked about those on our last. Last episode, the the cicada killers, they wait until the end of the year where the annual cicadas come out. All mm. about cicadas on this episode, apparently, of Dugout Study Hall. Um, I mean, it's just as fun as baseball, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, um, uh, speaking of of baseball, it, it looks like a lot of uh, stadiums are going to be able to go back to full capacity. I know Massachusetts is looking at May 29th. Some uh, stadiums had already been there, so... Looks like we're gonna go from uh, f- uh, famine to feast a little bit this this baseball season compared to last, where we had six weeks of no fans to before we hit June having uh, having full capacity in, in a lot of places. So that's uh, that's that's exciting from a fan standpoint. It's exciting from the point of view of being able to go. Hopefully, uh, people are responsible and uh, it doesn't turn into a. <laughs> you know, something worse, but, uh, I have my yeah. fingers crossed. I'm, I'm all about, uh, the optimism with this one. I'm excited for the, the, the chance to go see some live baseball. Uh, and you already got a chance to go see some live baseball. Yeah. Um, you know, my, my immediate thought is that, um, in many of the ballparks I plan on visiting, um, the summer that social distancing will just happen as a matter of, you know, accident mostly. <laughs> um, 
Now, I will say there's going to be some really, really hot games in mm-hmm. um, Baltimore and DC that I will get tickets to because I'm just naturally a little more immune than some um, theater nurses are. <laughs> um, yeah, I would do like a Sunday um, afternoon game in 2019 uh, in like August when it was like 95 degrees out and yeah. had a great time. Yeah. Um, and I don't think many other people did. Um, so I'm excited for that sort of stuff. Uh, when, you know, you can social distance in the upper deck as I like to do all of the time. Do, do you have a favorite place to sit in a baseball stadium? Uh, you know, it really depends on the stadium. Um, you know, I, obviously my team is, is the, the Red Sox and Fenway is, is a unique uh, sort of setup. So there are definitely places I don't like to be there. Um, you know, it's an older, older park. So some of the seats are a little bit smaller. They still have some beams so you can have some obstruct, uh, mm-hmm. obstructed views. Uh, you know, I, I actually um, just kind of overall in sports, whether it's hockey or football, I really enjoy being a little bit further away and a little bit up. I do have mm-hmm. a heights problem and a vertigo problem, so <laughs> I can't be too far up. I remember at uh, old Yankee Stadium, I had had tickets with some buddies at one point, and literally my back was against the wall on the upper deck, and um, I couldn't stand for the national anthem. I felt terrible. Uh, I, I was like, I, I promise I'm not being disrespectful. Like I, I couldn't stand up because I felt like I was falling forward, and then I would try and correct, and then I would start to actually fall. So that that was not very good. Um, but I do like the perspective, especially like I was talking mm-hmm. about with playoff hockey starting um, and your stinking Washington Capitals uh, <laughs> down there. I don't claim them. <laughs> I don't claim them, to be clear. Um, um, I am a grandfathered in uh, Winnipeg Jets fan, according oh, to my brother. Okay. Yeah. Well, we can give you that. Um, yeah. But I, I really do like the the distance because you get more of a perspective on what's going on yeah, yeah, yeah. from the point of view of like, this is super cool. Having seats right behind a dugout or right near a dugout is pretty awesome being really close to the field. But you do lose some perspective on strike zone. You lose perspective on depth uh, to mm-hmm. balls hit to the outfield. So, you know, I don't know. I think it depends upon what I'm looking for. If I'm looking for something that makes me feel fancy, then I like sitting close. And if I'm looking to, to be able to just kind of go and, and enjoy a ball game and, and see, then those, you know, the little bit of distance really isn't that bad. Yeah. I feel like I've basically sat two places um, for baseball games like that I've enjoyed. Um, one of them is basically um, sneaking into the rows right behind the dugout <laughs> um, for like the last couple of innings when no one's there. Um, but more often, you'll find me um, in the upper deck, uh, directly behind the plate, essentially, mm. maybe slightly on the left-hand batter's box side. Because uh, from there, when the ball's in play or in the air, you know exactly where it's headed to, and you can see it the whole way. Um, mm. You can kind of roughly see not balls and strikes, but more kind of like inside, outside, yeah, a out. little bit yeah. up and down, just enough to see like if someone swung at something, kind of what happened. And like, you know, if you're in the outfield, there's just nothing you're going to see other than balls headed your way. Yeah. And that's right. just not fun to me. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, oh, if it's a day game, that's where you're getting beat by the sun all day long. Too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like I want to give credit to uh, my friend, Daniel, who is a uh, um, lifelong, like including when they were really, really bad, uh, during the early mm-hmm. 2010s, Houston Astros fan who uh, took myself and a few other friends to a game at Minute Maid a couple years back and picked out those seats, and I've been a convert ever since. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, it's it's uh, I you know, if I'm inside the stadium, I'm usually pretty happy. 
um, you know, that's the uh, that's the goal, being able to get to uh, get to a game, and I'm super excited to do that this year. Uh, which brings me to our our little bell ringer that I'm going to ask you here. Uh, so, and we can do this super quick. We've got a lot to talk about in this episode, and uh, I want to make sure we give it plenty of time. But um, what has been more fun for you so far this year, real baseball or, or fantasy baseball? Um, I kind of want to say um, it's been both in the leagues where I own Shohei Otani and <laughs> real life baseball in the ones where I don't. <laughs> One of these casts, I'm going to get you to commit to an answer instead of fence sitting on every single thing that I ask. But I understand what you're saying. Uh, Shohei Otani, I, think... I mean, my goodness, what what a yeah. fun person to have. I have him on one ESPN daily team. And man, is it, it's just so much fun. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to rewrite my piece about how valuable he is um, to say that it's no longer disputable. He should be the first overall pick in ESPN yeah. Daily Leagues next year. I, I'm not kidding at all. Yeah. Um, if you're in an ESPN Daily League, he should be the first overall pick. Yeah. I mean, you're getting two players in one, and he's, he's exceptional mm-hmm. at both sides of the ball. So that's unique and awesome and a lot of fun. Uh, for me, it's definitely been real baseball so far because my fantasy teams have not been great. But this past week, they started to show signs of life. So I've got a little bit more hope this week than I did I did last week. At some point last week, I think I tweeted out that my hateometer on fantasy was like a 9 out of 10. And I was just leaving space in case something got worse. <laughs> I was not super happy with fantasy baseball. But, you know, that's the way it goes. Um, all right, let's move into numbers of the week. I have a couple of interesting numbers, and I really want your take. So I'm just going to give you the scenarios and then uh, let you wax poetic about whatever you think is going on here. Uh, so the first one is 42.7%, and I focused on ESPN here uh, just because I know a lot of people play there. I could have done Yahoo numbers. Um, you know, and, I bet and they're the same. Be, yeah, I, it's probably not exactly the same, probably ballpark, maybe a different one-two guy, but... Um, I stuck with ESPN. So the nice thing about what ESPN gave me was it's a seven-day average. So as Mm -hmm. of uh, May 18th, when we are recording this, 42.7% is the most added player over the past seven days, and that's Robbie Grossman. Why is Robbie Grossman the most added player over the last seven days in ESPN? Man, I don't know. (laughs) That's the analysis people come here for, Alex. That's yeah, yeah. I want to be really frank here. Um, There is nothing that we've learned about Robbie Grossman in the past week that has made him substantially more valuable. I'm willing to bet um, that his uh, ESPN Player Raider score was really good in the past week. Okay. Um, so what would he contribute was, to that? Is steals right? Is a big part of their their formula? Steals for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe he scored a couple more runs. Maybe maybe his average was kind of good. Basically, though, um, the ESPN play rater is bad. Um, I so, know how you feel about it, yeah. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but, but more importantly than that, we can kind of figure out what kind of bad it is. It overrides steals. But, like, on a weekly basis, it's just about who plays. Um, so, yeah. like, he might have been, um, you know, better than the market in, like, a couple weird ways. The, the bigger thing, though, is, like, if he's being added a lot, I imagine it's also got to do um, the fact that other people are getting dropped in large numbers, yeah. um, and he's like an obvious replacement. So there's probably like more of a some corresponding kind of a thing, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, and yeah. I've got this thought too, and I, I don't know. I just thought of this right now. So let's see what you think. Um, does it sort of become a, a, a self-fulfilling prof- prophecy? Like uh, he's yes. good on a player raider. He gets added by a few people, and then he jumps to the top of the most added, and everybody's like, oh, everybody else is adding this guy. I have to do the same thing. 
Matt, you're better at my job than I am at this point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's totally got to be it. And, uh, you know, when you throw it at me, they're like, hey, figure it out. I mean, yeah. that's really what I'm doing most of the time here is like trying to talk through that stuff. And, uh, yeah, no, Robbie Grossman, like, did we learn anything about him? No, no. I, I would not be surprised to see his actual value increased a lot later on this year if he got traded. Mm. I don't know if that's going to happen, though. Well, we will get to all of that in a little bit. Um, I do also wonder if it has a lot to do with him being decent and a lot of the options out there on waivers being bad. Uh, not so much that he's mm-hmm. done something mm-hmm. great, mm-hmm. but we got a lot of injuries, uh, a lot of guys going on the IL. You're kind of grasping at straws, and he looks probably more attractive, not because he's great, but again, because everybody else is not so much. Uh, let's talk about one more player here, one more number, and that's negative uh, 22.8%. And this is going to be the yin, yin to the yang or the yang to the yin. Uh, um, this is the most dropped over the last seven days on ESPN as of May 18th. And that's Enoa. Uh, and I, that actually surprised me. I know he's hurt. I totally understand he's on the, on the IL. But we've got IL spots. So uh, are people bailing on him too soon just because it's easy be- to, to justify because he's hurt uh redraft espn you do not have a whole lot of il spots i want to say it's just like a i know that's a particular for espn because uh that's kind of like where i made my like fantasy home for a long long time mm-hmm. um so i just want to say like as a mechanics thing they actually have fewer than you expect but also if you're going to be out for three months and it's your pitching hand and then you got to rehab it and make sure you can grip your pitches and stuff again and like put enough pressure on the ball i'd just like to say that um it's really easy to let go of a guy that you're only mostly convinced is going to be good um when you won't get him back until like august something right uh especially if you're like anybody else in fantasy baseball and a third of your roster is hurt right uh so i just want to say like i would be cutting him uh in redraft right now um you want to think like what is going to happen between now and August? Um, a lot of the season and right, that extra yep. bench spot or whatever else um, will determine whether or not your team will be good enough to care about Noah being on your roster when he's healthy. Sure, again. yeah, you get him back and you're already uh, out out of contention. Doesn't doesn't really help you much. Sometimes I like to use my tone and the way I ask questions, Alexander, to uh, to try and and fool you, and it doesn't work. So I'm, I, I should probably just stop that. Um, uh, all right. So we hinted at this a little bit, uh, when we're talking about Grossman just, just a few moments ago, but really what we're going to try and talk about over the course of this entire episode is trades and moves, uh, which players should be on the move both in real life and in fantasy. And in some cases there's parallels and connections and in other cases, they're vastly different, uh, moves and reasons why. So we're going to actually do this, uh, division by division. Uh, we'll start in the east. We'll hit the AL and the NL, and then we'll move to the central and the west. And uh, you know, this is going to take up a good chunk of our, our episode today. But I, I think it's really interesting to look at the dynamics of trades that happen in real baseball, the dynamics of trades that happen in fantasy baseball, and how one uh, impacts the other. Obviously, what we do in fantasy does not have any impact on the the uh, baseball organizations, but what baseball organizations do certainly impacts us with our fantasy rosters. So. Um, before we get started on that, anything you want to just kind of say as a preface? 
Um, I want to say that, are you sure that there aren't teams that are using the ESPN player aider to figure out who to sign? <laughs> now I kind of hope there is, but I doubt it. I, I hope doubt not. It. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think that like, if you're trying to put yourself um, in like the armchair GM mode, it's not too hard to kind of like at least not be terribly wrong about who you can expect to be on the move. I think there's like a couple benefits of like just kind of like taking a deep breath, uh, both for your own teams and for the teams that you uh, pay money to watch play yep. or whatever. Um, is that um, this stuff is hard? Yeah. Um, but also that like there's a couple of like things you can kind of be on the lookout for, whether it's just like reading like tabloid style press you know if you're like a yankees fan i guess uh and versus like following like a beat reporter to kind of figure out like what makes sense and right, like right, once right. you've got your like bs detector finely tuned a lot of those skills are kind of pretty broadly cross applicable and pretty fun so uh yeah that, that's kind of why i think this is fun to bring up it's, it's not just like hey let's dangle some guys to figure out if they should be traded but also kind of like let's learn how to be better consumers of baseball media uh yeah and i think that's important we're not bringing up guys here just because they're showy um or we're gonna speculate that some big name is gonna move just for the sake of uh of that i think we're showcasing people here and by we i mean you um that are really going to uh to help us understand the process less about predictions about who's going to land where and more about understanding how you can get out ahead of maybe other people in your league uh, because opportunity really does matter and if you have somebody who's making a, a switch from a team where he's getting playing time to a, a, a little more limited role or vice versa that's that's huge and if you can kind of be out ahead of that and see that coming as uh, I mean, obviously the trade deadline is not approaching, but um, you know teams are are dealing with a lot of injuries, and uh, it feels like more than normal. I, I maybe I'm wrong about that, but it sure it, it, you're, feels. You're right. It it is definitely normal, more than normal. Yeah, and and so these teams are looking looking to um, compete, and and they're gonna have to bring people on. So we might see a more active trade season earlier this year just because of all of that. So without further ado, let's start in the AL East. Uh, and talk about real-life trades and um, what might be on the horizon, why it matters. Okay, so there are a couple of guys that I wanted to really bring up as, like, people that would make a lot of sense to move. But I kind of want to sort through, like, first what's really hard about this and why there's sometimes non-obvious answers or semi-answers that aren't great. Like, why is someone going to be buying well, obviously, because they think they might make the playoffs. In the AL East, we have a lot of teams that think they might make the playoffs this year. So if you're trying to speculate on who's going to get traded from them, uh, good luck. Um, <laughs> like, just straight up, it's going to be rough. There are, however, I feel like a couple of guys um, that I think s- kind of set, like, a good tone for, like, what I think makes sense. So, like, I think the Rays realistically know they're probably going to be sellers. Yeah. Um, they haven't been, like, blowing the rest of the division out of the water. Other teams in that division are likely to be better than them going forward. Um, and they've also got some assets that I think make a lot of sense um, to be flipped somewhere. So let's think first and foremost, like what do teams actually need to acquire? Um, that's kind of like determined a lot by like um, what the actual good teams need. Now, I don't think like the Rays are going to be trading with the Yankees. Um, (laughs) i just don't but you know you might think like who's likely to need to acquire some parts um it seems like everyone's hurt on the dodgers right now yeah um there's long-term 
outfield and lefty bat need, really the same thing for the White Sox. The same thing can be said for the Yankees. Um, and then there's, you know, everyone needs pitching. So that's yeah, like almost right, right. not even worth bringing up. But like, you know, left-handed outfielders are in pretty short supply. Uh, also, all outfielders who can play defense, kind of in short supply. So before he hurt his wrist, I thought Kevin Kiermaier kind of made sense for a, a team with some money to throw around could pick up a lefty bat to throw out there. He would have made so, so much sense um, in center for the White Sox. Yeah. I joked earlier this year that they were going to trade Andrew Vaughn for him just because they were just <laughs> doing a lot of dumb things. They've been like the best team in baseball while doing dumb things. So like, who knows what could happen if what, they stop yeah, being really? dumb. Um, but, you know, that's a sort of like it would make sense. Um, they also got some other things going on there that make a lot of sense. Like Marco could play center if he needed to. Um, yeah. They've got uh, Josh Lowe in the minors who's playing really well, who could be a center fielder pretty soon for them. Mm-hmm. So like, it just makes a lot of sense for Kiermaier to not be on that team anymore in the near future. Um, sure. And he's kind of potentially got a market. So that was a guy who was like on my radar. He fits a lot of things that just make sense. Um, you could also think that um, they might not care to um have um you know shortstop blocked for a whole lot longer yeah now who knows uh how long wander franco is going to be um working on his yeah his, being young that's the skill yeah. that he currently has <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's his deficit his age uh yeah. yeah so that's the thing is like who might need a shortstop um there's been the sort of kind of issue of um of willie adamas not being good um this year <laughs> yeah which sort of you know causes some issues i guess he could slide to the bench um he's kind of like a defense first guy and maybe someone will want their shortstop to play defense and maybe that's like the reds um yeah. who currently don't have a defensive shortstop on their <laughs> roster essentially um maybe they take a, a punt on something like that sure even if it's not like a contention move just like to pick someone up uh so like those are the sorts of guys who are just like you kind of see how like one team would want to sell and you just know out there someone might want to buy. Um, now, I don't see Adamas going to the Yankees, who also might need someone who can play defense at shortstop. Yeah. Uh, but again, you can kind of see how, like, where's the scarcity coming from? And the other thing that kind of controls whether or not someone might be sold is just obviously, like, um, the whole team control thing. Right, uh, right. So Adamas is in kind of a weird place because, like, how much of an asset is he really? But let's take a scroll onto my favorite place to do any of this stuff uh spotrack if you're not uh just constantly on spotrack change that really quickly <laughs> it's it's really really good to be able to just go check and see like where someone's at so Adonis is like in his... from alexander and yeah so he's got like two point or two years and 105 days of service time right now um he's currently on the last of his like basically not being paid to play baseball years and then he's gonna enter arbitration so like mm-hmm. let's say the raise desire the arbitration one is like uh, i want to get rid of this guy number well you can go on to spotrack and search a guy and just go find out if he's gonna be you know going to arbitration next year and the arbitration system is weird and maybe trades get different in the future because of it mm-hmm. but he's kind of like an easy one where it's just like here it is and here's our picture. So it actually makes a whole lot of sense potentially for Willie Adamas um, to not actually make a whole lot of arbitration if that yeah. happens and or get signed cheap. So that might also, on one hand, make him more likely to just get slid to the bench. But it could also mean that he's some sort of asset, that someone like the Reds, uh, who might want someone to play shortstop for them if they decided they're semi-competing. And I think they, they probably do decide they're semi-competing yeah, yeah, yeah. um yeah like that, that just kind of makes sense 
Yeah, um, it clicks. So, it's, yeah. it's easy to take that on. It's probably just as easy for the race to keep it. Uh, and I, I don't mean to refer to a human being as as a, a commodity, but a lot of the baseball people really do, unfortunately. Um, it's easy to keep the situation is really what I was getting at. Um, it's also easy for the Reds to take it on. Uh, so, you know, if that becomes the difference in a larger deal, maybe, right? The Yeah. The, yeah. the extra piece that makes it happen. Uh, I could certainly see that, that happening. Um, yeah. What else about the AL East? Do we have any other real-life stuff going on there, or should we talk a little bit about the fantasy element? I think we just know that it's all going to be a mess until the Red Sox figure out who they are. Um, yeah. And I'll let you be our long-term correspondent on that, but <laughs> it would not surprise me at all if, um, especially if the um, the Blue Jays just don't figure out how to do pitching, um, yeah. that that division is still kind of like close, and that those are the teams competing for those wildcard spots, which makes everyone sort of like a stay put unless it's not moving the needle and it's more of just a long-term trade. Right. That's like, you know, Kiermaier is like probably getting moved because there are people behind him. He's redundant and there might be a market for him. Um, Adamas might get moved. There were people who can come up to fill his shoes and there might be a tiny market for him. But those aren't like moves that are like, all right, we're cratering this team because we want to like move up five spots in the draft or yeah like that's not, that's pay $10 not a lindor trade yeah that's those exactly those, exactly yeah, small pieces those are just everyday normal baseball operation moves right um so and people do tend yeah. to stand pat the further into the season you go and the more they feel that they've got a shot at a at a playoff spot so yeah i, I mean we'll I, talk about the nl west in a second yeah, when it comes to that yeah. stuff um, so yeah, I think that in terms of fantasy, that's also really difficult for the AL East. That's kind of why I chose to do this one first, because <laughs> I wanted to basically to say that it's all going to be annoying until the Yankees trade for everybody's um, everything, especially lefty outfield bats, because they clearly need one of those. So yeah. I just want to say they are a huge market for that. That doesn't mean they're trading anyone necessarily away that's worth talking about for any leagues that I'm playing in right now. Um but it's something to monitor. Yeah, I mean they're they're a landing spot. We just don't necessarily have a name um, at this mm-hmm. point. Although there may be one that comes up a little bit later on that uh, that can oh, make I, some sense. I, I will like propose like three different guys yeah. to them later on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they're all listening. Um, yeah. So uh, in terms of fantasy, uh, who do you think might be somebody that lives in the AL East right now that? Um, is somebody that that maybe we should target that's um, showing some signs of life that's maybe um, maybe the opposite maybe things aren't going so well but it's it's kind of easy to chalk up to something like a, a super low line drive percentage I guess things that that are more luck based um, is there a name in the AL East that, that you think people should have on their radar and, and be uh, making offers for okay so here's a crazy idea I think people should trade for Giancarlo Stanton <laughs> well, um, if you if you are interested in uh taking a gamble that kind of, like change where you land in the standings personally um he's hurt right now um he's been unlucky relative to how stupid good he actually yeah. has been this year yep. and someone might be scared and, and you could potentially swing a deal where you could get him and it could change your fantasy outlook for the better or for worse um but you know if you feel like you want to take a gamble and have some fun there's thought i also think the geo Urshela is kind of like a hey let's go acquire someone stable because my team's been decimated option mm-hmm. um that i think might be relatively undervalued because um you know somehow despite playing for like the literal 
most covered team in all of baseball <laughs> playing well for them and generally not batting ninth or anything like that i feel like it's somewhat undervalued pretty perpetually because he wasn't like a huge overpaid free agent which they haven't had a whole lot of mm. or like a huge mega prospect so like yeah he looks like he's done some interesting things this year in terms of like how the things are normally shaking out he's hitting the ball hard a little bit more often when he makes contact making a little bit less contact walking a little bit less which mm-hmm. in fantasy um is kind of fine um, yeah depending upon your you, scoring but kind of yeah. yeah kind of um so like overall it seems like he might be a guy who could you know um provide some rbis well, that's it's, really what it comes down of to like going and yeah. grabbing the robbie grossman off the waiver wire who eh, you might be able to swing a deal for an Oshella who's probably yeah. got a little bit more potential to to have a higher impact uh, as the season yeah progresses. yeah you, you might need to give up more than whatever you're dropping but I'm sure there's someone out there who's got him stuck in like a an MI or a UT spot that like could be convinced to part with him if you were going to throw something that's really still not that exciting, mm-hmm. um, but like just might be a, a, a need and that you could probably get some good stability and value. Well, so I that's mean, just a guy that like perpetually I'm always like, go look first, one of those, but also roll the dice. Yeah. Like, they're very different yeah. moves. And, and and team construction is huge. If you've got somebody who's already got uh, a pretty... Strong third baseman and maybe a great first base for the corner. Uh, And Arshella is constantly fighting for that UT spot, depending upon what's going on in a given day. There are people who are going to be willing to part with him because it just doesn't fit into the team model. And hey, if I can get somebody who's going to be in my lineup every day, maybe I I will take a little bit less. So it's certainly worth kicking the tires. Yeah. Um, I also think another thing that helps his value, just kind of as a last thought yeah. here, is that like his counting stats haven't been like light the world on fire, and people make decisions based off of past counting stats in some really weird ways. Yeah, it's like you might like look at one guy has twenty five RBI and twenty runs, and you look at Urshela and he's not got that. That doesn't mean that he can't be a huge difference maker for you going forward. Yeah, yeah. and again, scoring system and format matters a lot, but. If the Yankees say go pick up that left-handed bat, who's all of a sudden knocking more runs in, I mean, there's there's ways for Orshella to also benefit from some of these other moves that the Yankees most likely are going to be making. Um, yeah, right. he's going to have opportunities. Yeah, let's uh, let's slide over to the NL East and talk about real life, real life movement. Okay, so here we finally get to what I think is like the most obvious pitcher move, potentially. And this is kind of sad as a DC resident, (laughs) but the Max Scherzer t-shirt that I now own will probably not represent a person who's on the Nats roster long term. Um, And it would not shock me at all if Max Scherzer was the big deadline acquisition Mm -hmm. for some pretty good team. Um, he just makes so much sense. I mean, it's kind of weird. Like, the dude just had another kid, actually, so I kind of yeah. hope he doesn't have to relocate. That'd be really nice for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but realistically, I think the he can probably handle the, uh, the financial impact. You're, you're right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, he's easily, I think, the best pitcher on an expiring contract. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been going to be paid a lot of money, but, you know, famously, he's been worth pretty much every dollar that he's uh been paid in his gigantic contract he signed with the Nats six years ago so like one i don't think that most Nats fans would feel too terrible about it um because realistically i mean i know where we are in the standings yeah (laughs) and i do think that the return uh for him is kind of like 
one of the only people like that out there could be pretty substantial. So it's just like, those are the obvious things that we don't need to spend time ourselves talking about. Sure. There are some other guys in this division that I think could be kind of interesting, depending on how the next little while goes. Um, now, the whole Jeff McNeil and Michael Conforto having like parallel hamstring in, uh, injuries on the same day for the yeah. Mets could make them some like interesting buyers. They've also got some like depth there that like they're suddenly kind of using like so we'll, we'll see how much they want to acquire um yeah. the line. I, it feels um, a little crowded even with all the injuries um it, yeah. you know, with guys like dom smith and jd martina jd martinez uh jd davis coming back mm-hmm. uh from injuries soon you know their outfield and VR those, like is there yeah the the utility guys and the the um super utility guys the outfielders it does seem like the mets always have a pretty crowded um, group in, in that kind of role and capacity. Mm-hmm. Nobody really stands out. Nobody's really very bad. A lot of them fighting for playing time. Who do you actually go and invest in? And do you yeah, want to yeah. go find another one and bring them into your your mix? Uh, but you never know. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it, there's lots of reasons why sometimes deals get done that aren't necessarily about on-field product, too. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um I do think those kind of, you kind of look around the landscape there. It's like you know they think they should be good. They, they probably should be. should be good. Yeah, yeah. They they probably should be good. They will probably will find themselves into a month where they play like six hundred plus ball. Um, it just seems like it's gonna happen. Um, and if it doesn't, we'll have a whole lot of fun listening yeah. to the entirety <laughs> of like the New York Mets like media apparatus that is basically every mainstream outlet has like one Mets sad boy. Uh, easily i should say my favorite guy in baseball the mets sad boy um so like you know as all of the different guys have dropped over the years that's the best product on the market um i don't want them to be sad the mets are relatively um not the villains in the mlb i guess um so but anyways kind of putting that aside um you know there's uncertainty there though right the phillies for all of the i think it's been weird for them I don't feel like there's a whole lot of obvious, like someone's going to get dealt if they're bad or they're going to buy a guy. I guess they could be buyers on the bullpen market. But like, again, those aren't the sort of people that we're looking at for today's questions. The guys we're looking at today are like, who's the guy who might put himself in a really interesting situation? And I'm going to call this shot and I'm going to feel really dumb about it in a while. I think Corey (laughs) Dickerson probably gets traded again. Um, they're just not a whole lot of left-handed outfield bats. He is a left-handed outfield bat who does not have a long contract or a ton of money associated with him. And he's not long removed from being pretty productive in limited roles. Yeah. He hasn't been great this year. Um, and we've seen that from him before though. And then he's been, he has been great afterwards. So, yeah. So I think he makes a whole lot of sense as a guy who might get acquired by a team. Uh, So like, if the White Sox decide they want to be cheap and just like bring a guy in kind of temporarily to play outfield and bat lefty, he'd be like a really good fit. Um, I think he'd benefit tremendously. He as you know, he would and anybody that invested in him would as well. Uh, not mm-hmm. not that we're looking at somebody who's necessarily win a, a league winner, but certainly maybe a league stabilizer or a team stabilizer because he's going to get an opportunity uh, if he gets moved. Well, yeah, I also just think like if you're like a competent baseball organization, like you need to have a well-rounded bench. And I mean, having people who can provide that for you. Now, I think that he probably needs to play, you know, like pretty average. I would say like he's been below average. He needs to be like a pretty average bat, I think over the next month or so for teams to really consider pulling the trigger and giving up some sort of asset to acquire him. But, you know, if he can become 
a guy who plays left field um, sometimes for the White Sox, like, I know there are people like me who are going to be really upset about the potential for, like, Andrew Vaughn to not be playing left field, but realistically, I mean, Andrew Vaughn should probably be playing DH first base rotation, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit of outfield to get some seasoning, but their playoff minutes, probably they're not going to want to, like, fully rely on a very right-handed and very not good left-handed rotation there. So it's just a matter of there is market. He's not that unavailable. Right. Um, the Marlins would it'd be really cool if they wanted to keep him, and that's where they were. <laughs> but I just don't think that's going to happen. So that's just like a we can kind of read the tea leaves, and this is procedurally got something to it that just kind of makes sense uh, yeah kind you know, of a think footnote there's gonna be a ton of him right uh there's just not trade, a ton of him yeah uh, during trade season guys guys like that kind of are, are the the like i was saying the, the footnote and and um mm-hmm. people are like oh okay yeah that deal who cares but um it, it can it matter it can matter for sure uh, mm-hmm. what about fantasy in the nl east okay so this is where i think things are um really fun actually is i think there's hmm. quite a few guys in the nl east that have had some really funky luck of different sorts uh, and the guy i want to highlight real quick is alec bohm mm-hmm. who just shows up at the top of every single list i pull for dudes who have been doing really good things to the baseball very often he's got a great walk rate he hits the ball hard with consistency um i'm trying to make sure that i say that rather than he hits the ball really hard because because it, because the real thing is it's about consistency and he's yeah. shows up really high in like the hard hit per PA leaderboards. You know, if you like um, add hard hit per PA to walk per PA, that kind of gives you roughly like how many of your PAs turned into something good. Right. He shows up so high in that. He's just had some issues with like what I call like Gandhi Diaz syndrome, you know, where you <laughs> hit the ball into the earthworms rather than into the sky, yeah. but like less so than previously. And he's also just been kind of unlucky. Um, so he's got talent. He's in a pretty good lineup. Um, and I think He's the sort of guy that hasn't, like, maybe lived up to a really high draft pick, hasn't shown off the true breakout stuff, but has been good and would be the sort of thing that you can kind of reliably bet upon if, again, you need, like, a a corner guy. Here's another another corner guy I'm suggesting you go get. (laughs) I'm really thinking that he makes a lot of sense to be picked up. Um, so yeah, I mean like for a lot of the, the pitching stuff, I feel like predicting pitching is kind of like a whole different thing, right? Like, sure. Um, I don't think that, um, it's as easy for someone like me to go say, yeah, this is a pretty obvious mesh of like dudes going to be on a good team and playing well, uh, for pitchers. It just doesn't, doesn't fit in the same way that you can make easy guesses. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Although the teams that usually look to acquire pitching, uh, in trade, know it's going to be expensive and are usually in contention. Uh, so there is at least that going for them. Um, all right. Uh, AL Central real life movement. Oh, boy. So this is where we get to talk about um, a different sort of product. So we got to talk about um, kind of like the marginal players in a couple different forms. We got to talk about Scherzer. I want to talk about a guy that's going to get brought up, but I don't think gets moved, I think, first. Uh, probably really the only guy I want to talk about in the central, like in seriousness, and that's Jose Ramirez. Yeah. Um, there was some smoke about him potentially moving um, this off season. He didn't. And I kind of want to talk about like why he is sort of a hard guy to see someone paying to acquire right now. Uh, so he's got three 
years, like two and a half, but three years of contract remaining. Yeah. And it's not like the arbitration three years of contract where he could be making 20 million in a couple of years and we wouldn't know it. Right. He right. signed an extension and will make a set amount of very underpaid money. He's <laughs> due like, um, I got to pull it up on Smotrack because it's, here, I have it in front of me. He's due to make $12 million in 2022 and $14 million in 2023. He will be worth like 30 plus each of those years to a team, right? If we're yeah. talking about like how much he'd be worth on the open market. So if you want to go sign an impact guy, that's important. But here's the other thing. Um, the market is willing to pay that much money for those guys on an annual basis, usually because they're 30 something and they're going to have some bad years at the end. If you're talking about like how much he's going to be worth, like he puts up five, six war, he's going to be worth like 50 million plus. Um, yeah. And like, you don't have to do any of the backloading. So like, <laughs> yeah, we're right. talking about a guy that like, he's the reason that Cleveland can get away with being very, very dumb. <laughs> yeah and still or i mean compete dumb, in dumb like a fox maybe where they are just like we need him to get to our win point uh but we don't need him and lindor to get to our win point so we're going to trade one of them and lindor was the taker well i mean lindor if you comparing the two lindor had one year left on his contract and was going to be paid more uh in that one year than uh ramirez is going to make in his next three years so if you think about this like how much is it worth to a team to have a guy for three postseasons who's going to be massively underpaid, won't give you any of those luxury tax issues, is going to be really good, he's good defensively, he's a switch hitter, all of the above, right? This dude's been like an MVP candidate yeah. many, many yeah. years, essentially. Uh, he's very good, like, <laughs> yeah. for sure. Just because he's on a bad team and not 22 doesn't make him easy to trade. Now, if someone wanted to give up everything, like... It wouldn't be everything, right? But, like, a whole, whole lot. Like, if we're talking about, like, Atlanta wants to trade for this guy for some reason, you would have to give up so many different pieces to justify selling him, I think, um, which just makes it really deeply unlikely. Um, and I wouldn't be shocked if it's next year because then it's two postseasons yeah. like, at the deadline. Well, the other piece um, of this, too, I think that we, we can bring up just to say it out loud um, is that this all makes a lot of sense if you are as an owner invested in wanting to make sure you make the postseason or you care about that um mm-hmm. which are appearing to at least they appear to to be trying to uh dangle their foot over the the edge of falling off the cliff without doing it so spending the least amount of money to give themselves the highest probability of of making the playoffs but there is also at some point maybe just a uh the chance that they're willing to um take maybe maybe you know if it's it's a still a haul but it's 85 cents on the dollar for the haul uh because even if it's only 12 million well maybe that's still 6 million more than they want to spend out of their own pockets um and it's it's not from my point of view it's not completely out of the realm of possibility just because they've shown a propensity for um that sort of move right it, that that there's a, a dollar amount um or a, a desire to shed payroll to a point that if they can justify it to their fans they might do it just for that extra money in their pocket i, I will say if there is a case and you say that this is the case where that probably isn't happening, right? So, like, it makes sense for Lindor, where it's like, oh, we are going to trade him with one year left because we know we won't pay him in the future. Well, they already got the ink on paper 
for Jose Ramirez. Yeah, a no, that's years a fair point. That keeps him in town. So I think he is like the he is the one that makes possible those other decisions not to do that. Sure, right? and I think that that's yeah, probably yeah. what they're trying to do. He's kind of the anchor, right? And and he's uh, an affordable one for them. But yeah, I, yeah. I also think uh, I, I guess what I'm saying is low likelihood. But if a, an organization is going to do it. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if it was Cleveland. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. Exactly. I just think that Ramirez is so dramatic. So dramatically. That's dramatically. The word it's I'm, so intense yeah. that it's dramatic. Yeah. Whatever that means. <laughs> um, yeah. He's so underpaid that, um, you know, there's just not a way that he's that guy where they're shedding payroll because you. I don't think that anyone could even t- in the most like Cleveland friendly light uh, let that slide. Um as for the fantasy side of things in um, the AL Central, I want to return to uh, another guy who kind of fits that same Alec Bohm mold mm-hmm. of he's been playing really well. He's going to be on a good team. And realistically speaking, um, even if his situation's a little bit funny, um, I think um, I think he's probably going to be worth it. Uh, that's Andrew Vaughn. Yeah. Um, yep. I've kind of been chatting with like white Sox twitter for a while uh, (laughs) because he's been a guy that i've been like i want to see if it works out and then so here's the here's where this is going uh a couple days ago i was like running through some of their stuff and he was at like a a combined like hard hit per pa plus walk per pa walk rate of like 45 percent. 45 percent of his pas he was doing something good if the white Sox weren't just like really catastrophically badly run um he'd be batting pretty pretty high in that order all the time right um he like to, to be clear 45 percent is best on their team by far and yeah. their team has good players right um, right yeah so like he is very consistently doing really good things the home runs haven't been there yet but they will probably come at some point um, but more importantly, he's also the sort of guy who's going to hit a lot of singles and doubles because he just got a good plate approach. So like, that's the sort of guy where he's going to be dual eligible. Um, and I think he's going to be more valuable as the year goes on to so just go get him early. Yeah. Um, we, we can, I think coming off um, of a year where we only had six weeks is making us feel like we're further and deeper into the season than we really yes. are. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, all right, let's move to the NL central real life movement that we might see from, from the NL central. So I think the question here is who's good in the NL Central? Um, I don't know. I think the Cardinals <laughs> are supposed to be. I don't fully buy it because I think they've got one pitcher right now. Um, so I, I'm like, I'm kind of weirded out because the other, the other side of things is like you can see a couple of teams then who think they probably should be good and it just hasn't fully clicked, but probably could. It's like the Brewers have an excellent pitching staff and like a triple A offense so they could be buyers of some offensive pieces potentially mm-hmm. if they decide they want to be especially if the cardinals have a bad couple weeks and fall back to earth yeah. um uh, the reds could pretty conceivably do a move here or there i've already brought them up for like someone who could improve at shortstop try to improve their defense in general um they've actually got a lot of good bats in that organization and i'm trying to figure out how they want to put it together and they've had some injuries and I'm actually not that worried about them for the offensive side of things. They might pick up some depth, uh, but I could see them trading for like a pitcher. Yeah. Um, and sure um, the defense. hoping to try and yeah, try and save runs instead of generate them. Yeah, exactly. Like they are oddly a really complete team that just hasn't com- 
completely put it together they need to get like a whole new bullpen anyways <laughs> but like they're not trading anyone right yeah it feels like there's one team in that division that really knows what they are and that we can yeah. all kind of believe we know what they are and, and can make moves maybe earlier because of that and it's not any of those teams that you mentioned yeah um, it's the pirates it's the pirates <laughs> right and and so um do we see anybody perhaps uh coming either to them as they're in rebuild mode or um, somebody that they're maybe sending away to try and, um, you know, get as much as they can for before they leave. There are two super obvious moves for them, I think. Um, So Polanco is an obvious, like, lefty bat Mm -hmm. with a contract that some team with money can just take a deep breath with. So. Polanco in particular is an interesting uh, Jorge Polanco, or Gregory Polanco, not Gregory, Jorge Polanco. Yeah. Gregory Polanco. Um, so he's only 29. Um, he's been injured a lot. and uh, He's be- being paid $11 million this year. Yeah. That makes him not like an exceptionally expensive asset. So if you're a team with money and not too worried about your cap issues, let's be clear, that's going to be like six or seven at most this year. Um, that's not terrible. Um, then he's got a lot of money due for the next two years, 22 and 23, but they are team options. So he's got a $3 million buyout next year. Yeah. If you can get Gregory Polanco to be your dude who hits the ball really hard and is left-handed platoon bat for the Yankees, right. I think Gregory Polanco is the, is like the, like the, the B tier target for the Yankees. Yep. If, I, if, I, if I'm like, and we're, we're going to get to the A, a target here in a, in a couple. So close. Yeah. So close. Yeah. Um, it just makes a lot of sense for him to do something like that. He could also fit in a couple other places. No, I mean, he's he's got some warts. And I think that that's why I think he's kind of an interesting um, sort of like dude to look at. Like he's often had this issue where he doesn't hit the ball anywhere good other than hard. Um, and launch angle stuff can be kind of fluky. And that's why we don't like average launch, launch right, angle. Right. Um, but he's definitely kind of an interesting guy. Now, mind you, again, Injuries are also going to be an issue, but just like, let's say we see a Gregory Polanco that's healthy, has a solid two weeks to show himself that he's not currently hurt, and somebody with some cash wants to trade for him late in the year, I think I can see it. In a situation in a stadium that really uh, plays into what he's good at. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, because he's he's striking out like 29% of the time this year, which isn't great. He had like a several year run below 20, and he's been in the 30-ish range for the past couple seasons. The walks are up. But like let's let's see he's so he's got like a like a three four probably like a three seventeen x woba so far this year and then there's just been some lucky stuff that has kept his actual woba down below that so like yeah for the past several seasons he's been an average to above average hitter um, yeah if he's healthy I think somebody probably needs to go snack him but if um, he, and that's just like it just makes sense he's also right now kind of like a a major factor for that team right I, I don't I don't know how much the sports psychology plays into all this but on, on the Pirates he's he's kind of somebody they count on to generate offense if he goes to the Yankees he's somebody that the Yankees can use to support and propel an already potentially really potent offense so I mean I don't know like I said I don't know his makeup I don't know if that would matter at all but there are definitely guys out there where it does yeah yeah and I think that at the end of the day, um, like these sort of like dudes with potential, but like contractual or just reality warts are a really interesting trade sort of pieces to look after because like you kind of as a fan, I think want your team to be going after the big name, but 
your GM probably doesn't. So yeah. Uh, yeah, I just think he just he's a really obvious one. The other one there is uh, Richard Rodriguez, who should probably be a Blue Jay tomorrow if the <laughs> world is normal and smart. So now we're talking um, about the fantasy, the fantasy asset to go. Oh get. no, I'm talking right. both. Okay, I mean like he he should be traded in real life um, to a team that needs uh, bullpen help because he's been silly good for the past few years. Um, and you know I think with relievers you kind of just got to trust it. The bad team, good reliever market, it is always something that people think exists and kind of doesn't. And here's like the one guy that makes sense. So he's, he's mm-hmm. going to get traded. The Blue Jays should be a team that has the assets and also the interest in making that happen. Sure. We'll see. Yeah. Um, I think in fantasy, uh, as you're bringing up, uh, Rodriguez is an obvious get him now guy, though. Like, do not wait for him to get traded because it's going to be so obvious he does. And yeah. the track record is long enough at this point that we should buy it. Um, so like all of the bullpen, char- bull- uh, the bullpen charts guys you follow who know what they're talking about, who aren't me, yeah. uh, love him too. I promise. Um, but yeah, go get him early. Um, yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, if you can get out ahead of the curve, uh, he, and d- again, depending upon your format, he's not necessarily unhelpful in the meantime. And not just that, like, obviously there's not going to be a ton of save chances, but how many games are the pirates are going to be winning via a blowout? Bad teams tend to get more saves than people think because they need those saves to win the games rather than, you know, winning 16 to 4. Yeah, I, I guess my my point is that um, the way the Pirates use him, you know, I don't know. Um, oh, he's he's just good. Yeah, he's yeah, good for he's your team. He's good for your team either way. Um, all right, let's let's talk AL West um, and let's start with real life um, because I think here, once again, we're going to see real life bleed into fantasy. So... Uh, who would you like to talk to in the uh, the AL West? So um, Joey Gallo is probably going to get traded, mm-hmm. I think, in my mind. Uh, if Joey Gallo doesn't get traded, that would say something really interesting to me about like the new Rangers front office. Uh, so GM Chris Young has made a lot of really good moves there. Um, and that is a team that has promise. And, you know, let's say that they sign him to an extension um, and want to keep him around for a while. Cool. I believe it. I can understand it. I think that they want to reward fans in that new ballpark and make them show up. I get it. Um, I also think that the reality is that he's going to have a ton of suitors and he's going to attract a lot of good offers. Yeah. Um, he's really good defensively. He's really shown a different side of him this year. It's like goes beyond power. Yeah. His OBP's over 400 for a long time. I think it might still be near there. Um, like, and then the power is obviously come back after like a weird hiatus for a second. So he's, <laughs> he's left-handed he's good at defense he's basically the thing that a lot of teams that are very good need very badly he would also play so so well in yankee stadium that like and i think this is the important thing we talked about this in comparison to jose ramirez um he's got two postseasons left of contract a year and a half of contract right he's not going to be hilariously overpaid or anything next year (laughs) this is like the ideal window for a smart team to be looking to sell i think yeah is about two years to a year and a half out because you sell one year out you know you're kind of playing with fire and hoping um and teams know you're in more of a desperate situation and they can get them for less exactly exactly And, and if you're selling at the trade deadline in the expiring year for a star like that, you know you're just not getting full value. Right. So if the Rangers do not think that they're for some reason going to sign him to an extension that is worth having him around for with their timeline and everything else, he should be gone to the White Sox or the Yankees. Probably. I don't really see an obvious third or fourth option there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you can maybe see that somebody 
wants to pull like pull themselves up the rankings maybe maybe he lands in atlanta yeah, i've heard him mention there hmm. but I, I don't think so <laughs> uh, but it, but the thing is like marcelo zuna is going to dh next year if the dh comes to the national league yeah so there'll be another outfield spot you know like it, it makes enough sense there they've also had some issues with finding you know like the third outfielder because christian pache hasn't been his like full promised self just yet right. uh, so like it, it's not impossible right um it just makes so much sense for the Yankees to pick him up, especially potentially if Stanton's hurt or if Frazier's still not good. Yeah. So I just want to say, <laughs> right. like, we're going to hear this rumor for a long time. Him to somewhere. Right. I don't think we need to litigate it too much, but I just want to say, like, he is the idealized form of this process for a lot of these other teams that we should be kind of comparing against. Sure. Um, you should also go get him in fantasy, too. Yeah, uh, if you can. I think he's really yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think him heating up recently might hurt his hair ability to trade for him. But yeah, I think people should perhaps when the home runs were down, maybe you, you missed your window a little bit. But I do think you you have another person on your radar that uh, makes a lot more sense in terms of a, a buy low in fantasy. So I, I think that I've been kind of waffling even since I put this on this chart about whether it's truly a buy low, but I, I still think it is. Um, and um, <laughs> that's Kyle Tucker. Yep. Um, so Kyle Tucker. And, and when um, we say buy low, obviously, relatively speaking. Yeah, I think that if you're looking to go acquire um, a high draft pick sort of guy and a pay, and pay obviously a reasonable return and you need to like restructure your team, he's the sort of guy that I really do have some belief um, you can actually get more back than what you're paying. Mm-hmm. So he's been doing this thing this year when he hits the ball really hard and that it lands one of two places um, in um, a fan's glove or in an outfielder's glove. <laughs> yeah. um, when he's hitting line drives and stuff like that, which he does do a fair bit of, he's had terrible luck. Yeah. Um, and these are the things that we can quantify by noticing how often on like the sweet spot rate balls and the line drive balls, those are landing. Cause we can check that 10 will be averages and we can check his and see, yeah, this is nuts. So I just want to say like, he's, got some other issues that i think are going to kind of keep his value slightly lower than it should be um those issues are uh, called dusty baker batting him seventh <laughs> um but he's played well even against left-handed pitching and um i think a lot of people think about minute made as like nice for the the crawfish boxes there for right-handed fitters but it's actually just really short fences everywhere and it's hot yeah. um so the astros are gonna have a lot of runners on base they're gonna get around the order he hasn't been stealing a whole lot recently um, because he's just been hitting it out a little bit more. I think yeah. he's up to like nine this year where the leaders are like in the, the double just at this point. So like maybe you can still get him for, you know, like let's say that you're paying about like a 50th overall um, like value. If you can get him for about that much, I think that's good. I think his batting average is something that will scare people a little bit. But the thing is, he's kind of been a really good counting stats guy. So mm. I don't know. I think people should be fishing. Well, on you him also at, at could, the very least. could try and take somebody that you believe is playing uh, out over their skis a little bit um, that somebody else might buy into more. Or you buy in less than other people and, you know, kind of combine a little bit of that buy low again, relatively speaking, buy low with a sell high. Um, and you might get somebody to bite uh, on, on a deal. Like yeah. That. Yeah. One can hope one can hope. Sure. Um, I think it's worth kicking the tires on in a lot of situations, though, in redraft leagues. Um, I also just think that it'd be fun to own him. <laughs> so, um, well, there's something don't to be like said to root for, for the Astros. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, again, I'm someone who grew up in Texas and have, knew a lot of people who like cheered for the post Hunter Pence pre Jose Altuve Astros. <laughs> so, like, um, 
I have a little bit more, I think, like leash for Astros fans and cheering for players like Tucker than I think a lot of other analysts who just hate them do. Uh, <laughs> just because I've seen the other side of that. Sure. And um, I can have a good laugh about the fact that um, after all this time, you know, like, what do they have to show for it? A whole lot of enemies in one ring. Um, I think that like their tank project is quite funny. So yeah, I, I feel for my Astros fan friends. Um, they got their fake rings. They're very, very funny to see the fake rings that they gave out as a giveaway. Um, so. Yeah. Well, all right. the heel turn of the Houston Astros. Um, <laughs> all right. Let's go to our last division. We are getting a little crunched for time. Uh, so I think we'll have to push our other two segments. But um, I, I think this was a worthwhile endeavor, and we can bring those other segments back next week for sure. Uh, so NL yeah. West, talk about some uh, – or I, I think there's one person in particular you really want to focus on here for real-life trade. Uh, but I'm yeah, not going to limit you to one. You can do whatever you want, Alex. Okay. So um, the obvious one here I think is Trevor Story, and I don't really know what else to say other than that Trevor Story should have been traded uh, last year at the deadline and also this offseason. Um, so – I joked on Twitter at one point that Trevor Story was going to get trailed for, or trailed, traded to like the Reds for like Kyle Farmer and like some Skyline Chili or something like that. And like that's a little bit of a stretch, but no, it's just, it's, it's sad for fans in Denver. Yeah. Um, but this is how his tenure there is probably going to end. And then I hope he lands somewhere kind of interesting and cool. Um, Cincinnati would be a fun fit. I don't know. Maybe he lands in Milwaukee. Uh, they are also a team that needs some offense and, maybe he has some prospects and things they could get you know him for relatively cheap um who knows um but it's just kind of be interesting to watch you know maybe he lands in new york yeah i mean new york is always on the list of potential landing spots for anybody who's who's really good or for people who haven't been good and then suddenly are once they get to the yankees which always drives me crazy a little bit um all right, what about fantasy? I think that you, this is somebody you kind of uh, uh, really zeroed in on, and I, I think it makes a ton of sense. So uh, why don't you let the people know who you are looking at in terms of fantasy in the NL West? Um, so, again, we were kind of looking for guys who have a record of being kind of good um, and play for bad teams. Yeah. Like, that's 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 the easy recipe, right? Uh, so I think that David Peralta is an interesting guy to kind of take another look mm-hmm. at. Um I think he could get dealt. Um, it wouldn't be surprising at all for me um, if the Diamondbacks made a couple moves to the deadline. Um, they are an active team typically, right? They make a move or two every single yeah, year. Yep. It hasn't quite happened yet. And the writing's on the wall for them, right? Yeah. So Peralta's got like a friendly-ish contract situation. He's playing rather well. Mm. Um, I know he has had some injury stuff, but also some breakout years in past years where it's like, who is he at any given moment, it can kind of be unclear, right? Yes, definitely. Um, but but he, he looks like his healthy and productive self right now. And if he's not playing for, you know, one of the most triple A lineups in the league, <laughs> I think he could be quite good. We keep pointing to this very, very similar um, sort of situation. Left-handed outfield is going to be in desire. Now, here, here's the one thing that I think can be kind of interesting for him is he's actually got two years left on his deal. Um so he uh, is due to make seven and a half million this year. He's got this interesting escalator clause where if he's active for 150 days, um, his next year salary would go up to eight million and it's fully guaranteed. But <laughs> I also think that a 34 year old David Peralta making eight million dollars for a team that currently needs one of these guys, you know, is still going to make enough sense uh, for next year, at least at the beginning of the year. So I don't think there's anything about him that's truly prohibitive. Um uh, 
and I don't know if he's going to be exceptionally expensive, but he's just a guy, a guy to kind of keep an eye on, but also like, and we're talking about like he could get traded and end up in a good situation and be worth way more than he currently is. Yeah, right. I still think that he might be valuable-ish if he's batting in a good spot in the lineup. So, um, yeah, I just want to say like that's a guy that like while I was just kind of scrolling through depth charts and trying to find some procedural matches, a guy that like I kind of got reminded he can be more interesting. There are a lot of other Diamondbacks players that I think could be more valuable. Uh, you know, Catal Marte is about to be back. Right. Um, they've actually, I think as an organization shown me a lot of they tend to get a lot out of what they have yeah um that's fair i think they've had a lot of guys had some rough stretches and i just don't think that they're like truly insanely terrible man they feel it's rough lineups at some points <laughs> this year so like i think that there can be interesting like people don't perceive their assets there to be all that valuable and either by virtue of just them pulling it around and being like a not quite middle of the pack, but you know, like at least the top end of the lineup's okay, sort of team. Yeah, I think that they could be worth something. So yeah, for sure. I, and again, it's it's a lot about opportunity and where you fit in. If you are are somebody that's being heavily relied upon and you're pushing and, and pressing, um, and then you go to a team where you can kind of take a deep breath and you have a very specific role and and you're free to kind of just live inside that space, then. Uh, you know, we've seen it time and time and time and time again, where somebody who we don't really think all that much of has a, a fantastic end of a year in a new situation. And it's energizing. I have to imagine for somebody going from a team that's not really competing to a team that absolutely is, which is the whole reason they got him in the first place. Um, mm-hmm. you can get caught up in that. that. That could be a lot of fun. I'm sure. Um, all right. Any final thoughts before we sign off? Um, yeah, there's actually one thing that you wanted to punt to next week, uh, that I, I'm going to make us do in about 30 seconds okay. here. Um, and I'm actually going to flip this to you. I want you to tell me a situation where, um, Tony La Russa is correct to criticize your man Mercedes. In what situation is he correct to tell someone that, uh, hitting home runs on three O accounts against position players is bad. Okay. So I, I thank you for turning this one. I, I get to play analyst and you, and you get to play, ask me the question. I can think of one scenario where I can kind of, for a moment be like, all right, I get that from a procedural point of view. And that is that he ignored a sign. That's not something that you usually do without the manager getting frustrated. If the manager gives you a sign, the expectation is that you're going to do what the manager has told you to do. But that's a real stretch, and I I'm not even buying my own my what I'm selling here uh, because I think everything about it is just terrible. I I think it's awful. I, it, especially because at the end of the day, you're also talking about somebody's livelihood. That home run I saw somebody tweet today. They did like a breakdown of what every home run earns somebody in arbitration. At, you know, forty fifty grand per home run. That's that's not nothing. So for Tony La Russa to just come out and you know with his moral high ground. And talk about what's good and what's bad and what's <laughs> yeah. right and what's wrong. And he's going to go make an example out of this guy. I mean, the the, the Twins put in a position player. Like, the, at, at that point, it's almost kind of like all bets are off, right? Like, we've, we're have we now playing a caricature of a baseball game. And, and Mercedes hit a bomb. Good for him. Yeah, the... um. The not really, but kind of rivalry that's kind of developed this year between... Um, uh, Rizzo and Freeman um, that featured, you know, like <laughs> yeah. the fun, like chase down tag. And then also like the strike. It's been fun. Right. Yeah. And I think that there's a certain thing where like I had this moment the other day where I realized to a degree, like 
you know, we're begging people to care about and be excited about baseball, except for Yankees fans who will give you their take about every single thing that has ever happened, right? <laughs> um, the thing is, like, you know, here we have a moment that is, like, just pure, silly joy that people are going to be, like, interested to watch. And also there's that sort of, like, king, kid in the backyard thing where it's like, yeah, I wish I could face, like, a 46-mile-an-hour looper because, and, and, you know, like, you just try to swing as hard as you can. Well, and you that's pop the it thing up, probably, too. It's right? not like he just he just uh, turned around it faster. That's probably pretty hard to hit a 46, 47 mile an hour pitch out. And what like, is he supposed to do? Just bunt it and give himself up? It just seems so ridiculous. I don't. I don't. What do you want the guy to do? You want him to go out there and not be himself? You want him to go out there and screw up his swing? You want him to then you pull him from the game? If you don't want people going up there and trying them, pull them from the – I don't know. It's just – it's so ridiculous and it, it absolutely drives me nuts. Uh, like I, I think that what I settle on is like I'm trying to come up with a situation here at the end of the day where I'm willing to criticize someone for trying as hard as they can. Um, and I think – the number of good arguments uh, that I've seen that are like, no, he made a good call here. Like, do you want him to get walked and just – put him on base for someone else to butt in like because it's partially less embarrassing it's a divisional rival um you're asking for the game to be longer in a blowout against a divisional rival what is to gain here and it's pretty much all just a matter of like whether we're willing to accept that someone wants to be in control or not and like when you say sign like i met literally I am in favor of a player ignoring a sign in that situation <laughs> if he is given a 46-mile-an-hour pitch to swing at because there is just this pure, joyous kid-in-the-backyard quality of that that, like, even the luck into a home run guy is going to be swinging at that pitch. Sure, and sure. for you to criticize it, like, as, as a pitcher, or probably as a coach, I, I just... Well, and so publicly, I, I too. Like, so, if you're going to say what it, you got to say... It just lacks so much understanding of, like, what's going to happen when people listen You're so to you, worried right? about embarrassing people, yeah. and you put your own player on blast all over the place, and you look stupid doing it. I just, I don't know. It's It, it doesn't make any sense to me, other than it's LaRusa, LaRusa-ing. Talk about making up terms. So anyway, on that note, on that happy note, uh, we have come to the end of this episode. Uh, thank you all for listening as always. And uh, Alex, if you could go ahead and let the people know where they could find us. Well, they can find you on Twitter at the corked Matt. I'm on Twitter at chase underscore rate. And most importantly, you can find our podcast on Twitter at Dugout Study Hall, where you can send us some questions. Please be sure to subscribe to the Pitcherless podcast feed if you haven't done that already. Leave us a good review if you can be so kind. And if you're not already, please consider becoming a PL Plus member so that you can harass us on the PL Discord. And that's it for me. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time.